happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. So we are continuing our Simple Life series. And so in honor of moms, we're going to be talking about serving, serving selflessly, because that's one of the things that moms are known for. And I know what you're thinking. You're probably thinking, oh, man, it's like either that or giving with the church. That's all they ever talk about is like one of those two things. And so my hope is that by the end of our time tonight that you'll be able to go, oh, okay, I get why they talk about it so much, and that I'm not here to put guilt and pile it on as we see. We kind of live with that enough as it is. So my goal is hopefully that we can come to an understanding and go, oh, I, I get why that exists and why we talk about it. And I'm going to operate tonight from a premise that I think we can all agree on. I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to assume that we all agree that we live in a me-centered society, right? That's a pretty safe assumption, right? So, and we see this all the time. We see it in marriages, Right? The divorce rate has never been higher than it is. The divorce rate in Christian homes has never been higher than it is. And a lot of that is because of this me-centeredness. We think, for some strange reason, that marriage is about us. That we go in thinking, man, my needs aren't being met. And so what happens is we have men and women who go in thinking that, and they think, oh, man, my physical needs or emotional needs or financial needs aren't being met. And so they either leave the relationship or they go find another relationship while they're still in that one. And in either case, it ends, right? And so we have this brokenness that exists. And I don't know about you, but I don't remember. Mike married me, so it's been a while. But um, like he married me in my, well, he didn't marry me. Sorry. (laughs) A lot of explaining to do. But um, I never remember him saying, all right, here's the deal. Like this is all about you. Do whatever you can to get as much out of her as you can. And like whatever you can do to get as much out of like. That just wasn't part of the deal. It was all about, here, you are here for her, and you are here for him, and yet we have kind of messed this idea up so that we think, oh, it's about ourselves. Or like in business, right? We all know businessmen or women that live by the creed, uh, it's a dog-eat-dog world, and I have to go and do what I need to do, and i got to do whatever it is to get ahead, no matter the cost. And so when we operate that way, we operate in this me-centered society. Or, or even in the world of athletics, right? We just had the NFL draft is still going on. And, you know, in the NFL about uh, 20, 25 years ago, if somebody would have, like, scored a touchdown, like, they would just kind of hand the ball to the ref. I grew up watching, like, Jerry Rice and Barry Sanders, and they would just hand the ball to the ref, and then they would just score on you again. So it was just kind of that was how they taunted you, not anything flashy. And so now they score, and they're pulling out cell phones, and, like, fireworks are going off, and everybody has, like, their own little dance move, and it's, like, this whole thing. So much so that even like during the draft, so these college players are coming out to, to go join NFL teams, and they allowed them this year to have walk-up music because that's what a 19 or 20-year-old needs is a reminder. Hey, you're about to enter a business that you're going to earn millions of dollars. It's all about you, buddy. What song do you want to hear when you come up? Like it's, We have just got this so messed up in our worlds, right? And the truth is it, we have this congenital disease called self-centeredness, and I have it. And you have it. And you can look across the globe at cultures and nations, and it just exists everywhere. And if you're a Christian or you've been around church long enough, you know where this all points back to. It points back to this time in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Now, the original, when the story started, Adam and Eve were in perfect community with God, and they were serving one another, and they were serving God, and everything was great, and God said, okay, here's the deal. We're in this great community. I only have one rule, just one rule, because we're, we're in this really good place. I just want to remind you who's in charge, like one rule. Don't eat this certain fruit. You can eat whatever fruit you want, and you can run around without clothes on and do whatever you want to do, right? Like, 
but don't eat this fruit. And so what happens? They're tempted, and they eat the fruit, and everything breaks apart, and they get to this point when they go and they hide from God. So in Genesis, it says, then the man and the wife heard the Lord God walking through the garden in the cool of day, and they hid. Now, what's interesting about that is I don't know if you've ever tried to hide from God in a garden that he created, but it's probably not going to work, right? He knows it's God. Like, he knows how many atoms are in that tree. He certainly knows how many atoms are behind the tree, right? That's the worst joke I will tell you all night, I promise you. But it's God, right? It doesn't work out to hide from God. And so God goes, you know, he goes looking for them, and he says, where are you? Not that he doesn't know. And they say, well, we hid because we were naked, which he goes, wait a minute. Who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I told you not to eat from? And now we all know what happens, right? Adam says, yes, of course, I ate from the tree. Yes, I did, and I take full responsibility for my actions. Do with me as you will, but leave Eve out of this. She's innocent. <laughs> right, you're laughing because you know that's not what happened, right? That's what Adam should have said, but we know. Like, you can go back and you can read. Adam goes, no, 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 it wasn't me. It was the woman that you gave me. She made me do it, right? And the woman goes, no, 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 it wasn't me. It was the serpent that you made. And so we get into this, at the very beginning, once sin entered the world, we get into this phase of trying to cover our own self-centeredness with excuses. And so we get into the world now and we go, oh, I'm not, I'm not belligerent, I'm just a strong-willed guy, right? Or I'm not self-serving, I just want what's best. And the only problem with that is Jesus. Jesus is the problem, which is not what you normally hear at church. But in this case, Jesus is the problem because he is unbelievably confrontational when it comes to this, and he doesn't let us live in a place of self-centeredness. He knows that in, on our own, in our own ability, we are going to fall short of this every single time. You might read a book, and you might get this right every little bit, and then it'll fall away. We know we cannot do this, and as followers, he calls us to live a life of selflessness. He calls us to live a life where we put other people's needs ahead of our own. And once we start thinking that way, then this war breaks out internally inside of us, doesn't it? The war between self-centeredness and servanthood, the war between selfishness and selflessness. And that's what we want for you here at Hope is selflessness. We want to be a people that are selfless, that are known for being selfless, for serving other people. And Jesus he knows that he's so passionate about this idea of servanthood. He's passionate about his time on earth when he's a servant, and he calls us to that so much so that this is what I'm convinced of. In my life, as the longer I live, I realize that I am never going to be able to do this on my own. Matter of fact, this is one of the areas of my life that is never going to change unless Jesus steps in. It just never is. He has to to take hold of it and he has to take control of it and he has to change it because left to my own, I'm gonna do whatever I'm gonna do, right? And put my own needs ahead of myself. So it's, it's just not gonna work. And when we realize that, the next thing that we do is we start making excuses. Yeah, God, I get that you're gonna have to change this, but, and so we'll say things like, I'm not smart enough, right? Well, have you ever said that? Excuse, I can't serve because I'm not smart enough. 
I don't know if you've ever read the Bible, like more than like a page, it's not filled with rocket scientists, right? There, there's, don't get me wrong, there's brilliant people in there, there's people that are way smarter than me and average people that are smarter than me and below average people that are smarter than me and so it's got all these people. But if you think about it, that was one of the cool things about the disciples, about Jesus' followers, is that for the most part, they were uneducated, regular guys. Some of them were probably teenagers. You can look that up. Go Google it, right? It's not just for cat videos. You can use Google for other things. But um, some of them were probably teenagers. So when we say, oh, I'm not smart enough to serve, but there are teenagers that we're serving, what you are saying is that every time a teenager rolls their eyes because they think they're smarter than an adult, they're right. Don't do that. We need to win that war, people. We have to say we are not dumber than teenagers. So we need to look at the disciples and go, look, God didn't go around to synagogues and to seminaries and pick the best and the brightest. He picked regular guys that had a basic understanding of life, and those are the people that he used. Or we'll say things like, well, see, I have this past, and I've done these things that I don't think God can, if, like nobody would take me seriously if I tried to serve, and I tried to serve for God. Nobody would take me seriously. Well, the truth is, I'm standing here, and there's nobody who's more surprised than me that I'm up here. Because I fit in that category. If you look and you go, gosh, your life does not lead to this stage, and I would go, yeah, that's 100% right. And the good news is, I don't know if you've noticed this, if you, if you read the Bible or if you just met people, but the only common denominator for everybody that God has ever used is that they're all sinners, Right? Have you ever thought about that? There's actually only one guy he used that wasn't a sinner, but he used him for a very particular thing so that we could all be saved, right? So everybody else he uses is a sinner. So if you're here today and you're a sinner, you're in, right? You're exactly what God's looking for. I mean, think about it. Think about some of the people that he used in the Bible to spread his word and to do work. We have Matthew, right, one of Jesus' followers. Matthew was a tax collector, a Jewish tax collector, who took money from his own people and lived a lavish lifestyle, and we look at that and we go, gosh, man, that's, that's pretty jacked up, Matthew. And, and yet what happened? God uses him to write one of the books of the Bible. And some of you people named your kid after him, right? I mean, God said that's not a deal breaker for me. Or David, what about David? Cute little David killing giants everywhere he goes, right? Well, David grows up and he has an affair with a woman named Bathsheba and Bathsheba gets pregnant. And so to try to cover up the affair, he has Bathsheba's husband killed, right? Great God, David. And God says, yeah, yeah, I get that, and there's gonna be consequences for all that stuff, but it doesn't mean I'm not gonna use you, and David goes on to write almost half of the Psalms in the Bible, and he's one of the key people that we read about in the Bible. God says that's not a deal breaker. Or what about the Apostle Paul, right? Apostle Paul, untouchable, right? Everybody loves Paul. Well, Paul used to be Saul, and Saul, for fun, would burn churches and arrest Christians. That was like Friday night for him, is to go out and cause trouble in the Christian community. And so God said, hey, you know what? I have a job offer. Um, I'm looking for somebody to write like half of the New Testament. Are you interested? I'm sure the angels in heaven were like, wait, what? The church burning guy? God, have you been looking at what's going on down there? And God said, no, 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 no. Yeah, I get all that. Just wait till you see what I do with him. Just wait till you see what happens when I get a hold of him and I get a hold of his heart and what we can do together. And that's what happens with us is, is we think God can't use us. See, it's a lot like this $20 bill. So if I, if I offered you this $20 bill, raise your hand. Who would take this $20 bill? Come on, people. 
you take the $20 bill, right? Well, what if I crumble up the $20 bill? Anybody still take the $20 bill? Yeah, right? What if I like lick it and kind of throw it on the ground and like stomp on it a little bit? Anybody? Probably not, right? Some germaphobes, hands are down. I'm good. I don't need $20 that bad. Right? We, we would still take the $20 bill. Why? Because it's still worth $20. Right? The, the reason that this bill holds its value is because the U.S. government who created it said that the value of this bill is $20. And no matter what you do, no matter what I do, I can't change legally the value of this bill. And in the same way, we have value. We were created by God, and he has put a price on us. He has stamped us with a value. The value is his son. Most of us have heard John 3.16 that talks about how he loved the world so much that he sent his son for us. That is our value. But what do we do? We get crinkled up by life, and the truth is all of us are crinkled and crushed, and the stuff that has happened to us, it's not diminishing, and it's not saying that it didn't happen, and it's not painful, but it doesn't change our value to God. And we go around and we give people a Sharpie to write on us and to change our value, as if that's what really matters. And we let people determine how valuable we are and how useful we are. And it's just not true. And maybe you've never heard that before, but hear it loud and clear for me. If you walk away with nothing else tonight, walk away with this. No matter where you have been, no matter what you have done, no matter what you are in the middle of doing, you are valuable to God. And your valuable do value does not change. And so we can't eliminate ourselves. We can't go, gosh, God can't use us. It's not a deal breaker. Your past is not a deal breaker for God. In fact, your past might be the very thing that God uses to reach other people. The brokenness, the hurt, the stuff that has happened to you in your life might be the very thing that God uses through you to impact people around you. And that's pretty amazing when you think about it. And when we get to that place, when we understand that and we accept that, then we can start seeing serving as the way that we can start living this amazing life. See, serving, we all know, when you serve somebody else, yes, you, there's gonna be a benefit that they receive. When you serve somebody else, they benefit. But when you serve, you receive a benefit as well. As a matter of fact, you are never more like Jesus Christ than when you are serving somebody else. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus talked about serving. He, he lived his life as a servant. You could come in here, every single service that we have, sing your heart out, raise your hands, jump in the aisles, be in a small group every day of the week, give all of your money away, and it still would not bring you as close to being like Jesus as when you serve somebody else. That's how powerful living this life of selflessness is. And what's amazing about that is that even the people that followed Jesus didn't get that. There's this amazing story, not amazing in like miraculous bread and fish kind of thing, but amazing when you look at it. And it reminds me, it reminds me how thankful I am that I am not like the disciples and a reminder that I am exactly like them at the same time. So I'm gonna paint the picture for you. In the book of Mark, uh, Jesus has just predicted his death for the third time his death and resurrection, which he would then go to pull off, which is kind of why we follow him, because anybody that can do that, we follow that guy, right? 
And so he predicts his death and resurrection. He says, I'm going to be mocked, I'm going to be spit on, and I'm going to be killed, and then I'm going to rise from the dead. And immediately, the next paragraph, it says that James and John go to him, and they say, hey, hey Jesus, can we ask you a question? <laughs> yeah, yeah, about all that death thing. That really stinks for you. That, gosh, that's going to stink. But we got a question for you. Um, can we sit at your right and your left when you get into heaven? Right, like he has just said, hey, I'm gonna be beaten, I'm gonna be crushed, I'm gonna be killed for you. And their first question is, yeah, mm-hmm. But can we get to your right and your left when you get there? Like whenever all that's done and everything settles, can we be at your right and your left? To which if you're Jesus, right, it's like a Three Stooges moment. You just wanna like knock their heads together and go, guys, what in the world? So what does he do? He calls a huddle. All right, everybody here, all 12, come on. Take a knee, here's the deal. And he tells them, he says, whoever wants to become great among you, must be your servant. And then he goes on to say, for the Son of God did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So he reminds them, no, 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 guys, you're missing it. It's not about being at the top. It's about being a servant, just like I was. And the word ransom there is this idea of purchasing a slave and so what Jesus is reminding them is that I'm going to buy your freedom. And the truth is, and you've all experienced this, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not, we are all slaves to sin. There is something in all of our lives, it could be our temper, it could be our addictions, it could be whatever it is, there's stuff in our lives that we are bound to. It feels like no matter what we do by our own power, we cannot break free of it. That's sin. That's the stuff that holds us down. And Jesus is saying, yeah, 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 I'm going to come and I'm going to break you of that. I'm going to free you from that sin. And when he died on the cross and rose from the dead, and when we trust in that, when we give our life and we go, God, I'm done. I'm done trying to do things my way. I'm done trying to do things under my power. And when we submit, then we're free of that sin and we can be free to serve and we can be free to live a life that he has laid out for us. And the truth is, the church is built on servanthood. Maybe you grew up in a church that you would not use that word to describe it, but that is what the church of God should be, it should be one of the defining characteristics of it, is it should be about selflessness and about service. And so at Hope, we are others-centered. We want to be as others-centered as we can be. So when Mike comes up here on the weekend and speaks, he doesn't speak for himself. He speaks for other people. And when the worship team and the singers and the band comes up and they sing, they don't sing for themselves. They sing for other people. And when you came in and you were greeted and people held the door for you and people helped you park your car, they did that for others, right? And in Kid City and in student ministries, those volunteers, those people that are serving, that are giving their life away for your kids, it's because they love your kids. They have a genuine love. They want to serve your kids and they want to serve your family because they are for your family and they are for you. And if you're in a small group, your small group leader is not about serving themselves, they're about serving you. And so we're other-centered around this church. That's what we want to be about. And when that clicks, when people finally get that, that, oh, it's about other people, the light comes on and people see the beauty of the church for what it is. Maybe you've been coming to Hope for a while and you're like, yeah, I get it, I like the music, I like the, I just, 
something's just not clicking. Maybe it's this. You will never experience what the church has for you until you experience what the church can do through you. You never will. You will never experience what the church can do for you until you experience what the church can do through you. Until you are a part of what God is doing and you are serving selflessly and you get to see lives being changed, you just won't get it. I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say, um, if any of you have ever served in any capacity at Hope, and you would say that statement is true, that it didn't click, like it took it to a whole new level of awareness for you when you got to be a part of what God was doing and that like, man, it made sense to you. If that's true, raise your hand. I can't pay all these people off. I only have $20 and it's got spit all over it, right? So like, it's either a big hoax and we fooled all these people or it's, it's real, Right? That is how God designed it, is when we live that way and we experience that stuff. Man, God is alive and he looks at us and he goes, oh man, that's, that's awesome. We're here to serve one another and serve other people. And maybe you hear all that and you're like, yeah, 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 that's great, but tell me more what's in it for me, right? It's a me-centered society. I'm gonna give you four things that living this life of selflessness will bring. Number one, it moves the heart of God. Now, I know a lot of us think that God is this kind of old man sitting up in heaven, like waiting to judge us and say, you did this wrong, you did this right, or whatever it is. But the reality is he's more like a father. And so he looks at us, and when we serve one another, when we care for one another, it moves his heart. It, it actually stirs the emotion of God. I'm, I'm, I'll never forget, with our oldest, our oldest two, I have uh, three kids, and our six-year-old and our uh, middle one, our three-year-old, we always remind them, like, your job is to protect your sibling. Protect. We use this word protect, and we say, like, protect physically and protect emotionally. Like, you just protect. It's very easy to, to remember. And when, when my oldest son gets it right, when he's like, hey, I, I, I wanted to get this sucker, and I, can I get one for Harper, or can I take care of Harper? Can I do this for Harper? Can I do this for Porter? Oh my gosh, the pride I have as a father. I mean, it's like, yes. And God feels the same way when we serve each other. He goes, that's my boy, right? That's my girl. And he says, that's my son alive and well and moving in people's lives. And it brings him joy. That is powerful to make the creator of the universe stir. Two, it makes an indelible impression on the people around us. Right, our friends, our family, our coworkers, when they see us living a selfless life, it, they just have to notice, right? Because a lot of us, that's not how we're wired. It's so different than culture that when we live this way, they go, man, that's a little bit weird. I don't, I don't get it, which then leads to the third thing that we gain. We gain the ability to talk about Jesus. We gain the ability to say, yeah, 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 it's not me but it's Jesus. There's an interesting couple of passages in the book of Acts. Acts is the book of the Bible that really talks about the birth of the church. And so in uh, Acts chapter eight, there's this uh, man, Stephen, one of the members of the church who was sentenced to death and he was killed. And it goes to tell us at the beginning of chapter eight, it says, on that day, a great persecution broke out at the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles, I'm gonna come back to that, were scattered across Judea, in Samaria. And what's interesting about that is that it goes on to say, and the church grew because people went and preached the word 
wherever they went. Now, it's interesting because if you remember, it said all except the apostles. That means everybody who was on church staff at that point stayed home. They were getting persecuted in the church staff, all of Jesus' disciples and apostles, and said, like, we're just going to stay, and everybody else scattered. And all of the heavy lifting was done by people like you and me. It wasn't done by people that have been walking along Jesus the whole time. It was done by people who said, yeah, I can be used by God. I'm willing to be used by God. And it grew, and we sit here today because of those people, because they spread and they spread the word of God and they went all over the place. And, and the joy that I have in my role as the pastor at Morrisville is that I get to see God alive in people. I get to see what God can do through the people at Morrisville and the people at Hope. And my job on staff, you're like, well, what's your job then? If you're not doing anything, you're doing all the heavy lifting, right? You're, my job is to encourage and equip and go, man, yes, this is what we can do and how great it is that we get an opportunity to do this. And I get to serve alongside some of you and that is awesome to be a part of what God is doing. But I don't want you to get hung up in, well, it's gotta be the church doing this thing. No, you guys are the church. We are the church and we can do these things and we can tell people about Jesus and we can live a life that impacts people for Jesus. Fourth, it brings us unspeakable joy when we live a life of selflessness because it fundamentally rewires our brain. It rewires our heart. God, if you allow him to take a hold and change you in this, you stop being focused on yourself. The stuff that everybody else in the world is trying to chase, all the keeping up with the Joneses and all that stuff that is really just symptoms of this me-centered living, it just goes away. You stop caring about it. You care more about somebody else's success than you do your own. And living that way makes a huge impact and it, it helps you enjoy life. You have joy. You have real, true joy. And that's interesting as we look at that and we think about that. And, and I have an example kind of um, two or three years ago, I went uh, to Monkey Joe's with my son Noah and he was probably three and a half at the, side, at the time. And um, he went to a bunch of birthday parties, and he didn't go down any of the stu- uh, any of the slides or anything. He, I have a fear of heights. He must either inherit it or he just doesn't like it. And uh, so he, we would never go. We'd pay like ten bucks or whatever it is to get in this thing, and we just walk around. So three or four times we'd go to these parties and pay this money, go in, and then um, we'd never go down anything. And then one day he turned about four, four and a half, and he said, "Hey, Dad, I want to go down the big yellow slide, which is if you've been among each other, like the big slide in the corner." And so I said. Um, all right, buddy, go ahead and go up there. No, I want you to go with me. All right. I don't like heights, so we'll go. And um, I mean, I'm a wuss. That's okay. I just don't like him. So I got up there, and we get to the top, and I'm like, yeah, this is real tall, buddy. And so we go down, and he loves it. We get to the bottom, and he's like, Dad, that was awesome. Can I do it again? I'm like, yeah, buddy, go right ahead. You know, go ahead. And so he goes, and for the next, like, 45 minutes, he's just climbing up the ladder and going down, climbing up the ladder, going down, climbing up the ladder, going down. And he's going nuts and having the time of his life, and we go to leave about 45 minutes later, we're going to put our shoes on, and um, I kind of look, and I'm kind of looking at him, and uh, I, I, I don't know if it was the light or something, but it, it looked like he had like a dark spot, like kind of in front of his pants, and so I was like, hey, hey, buddy, did, did you have an accident? Like, your potty train, like, what happened? Do you have an accident? And he said, well, yeah, remember when we went up there that first time? Like, I was real excited, and like, I just a little bit of it kind of came out there, and so I was like, 
all right, that's great. And so, uh, you know, we kind of went on and went to lunch, and, and he didn't mention, like, his pants. And he's normally a real self, he's like oldest, so he's a real self-conscious kid, right? And so, didn't mention it, but was telling anybody that would listen about, like, the going down the slide. Oh, the slide was so great. We went down the slide forever. Can we go to the slide today? Can we go to the slide tomorrow, right? And all this kind of good stuff. And my point is that serving is exactly like that. Not going to the bathroom in your pants. <laughs> it's, not, it's not like that. What's well, a little like that? So it's, it's like in this. When we serve selflessly, it's messy, right? I mean, it is. If you think about it, if you start living a life where you're serving selflessly, when you're serving other people, it's messy. Because the truth is, at some point, you're going to start serving somebody else, and they're not going to be serving back to you, right? Or maybe you're serving somebody else, and they betray you. I mean, that's what happened to Jesus, right? The, the night he was betrayed, he washed Judas's feet. Hours before Judas went to betray him, he washed his feet. And so it's messy. As long as there's people involved, it's going to be messy. And people are going to look at you funny. Like I'm sure other kids looked at Noah and were like, I mean, that's probably weird to go to the bathroom in your pants when you're going down the slide. People are going to look at you funny when you live this way. They just are because it's so different than how the world lives. But it's a lot like that experience in this way too. That Noah didn't feel alive in Monkey Joe's until he's going down that slide. And it took him taking that step going, all right, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to step out. And once he did, it's like a new level of joy for him. And until we can live that way, we're missing out on the most exciting adventures that God has for us. Having said all that, here's what I want you to do today. I want you to start serving selflessly today, somehow. Now, for some of you, that means you just need to start serving selflessly in your home. Maybe you're a parent and you're great with your kids. You're great putting their needs above your own, but you're terrible when it comes to your spouse. This happens to me all the time. I'll put my kids, and it's like me and my spouse are just like, all right, we're roommates right now. Like it's, Maybe that's you, and you need to go home, and you need to start serving your spouse selflessly or friend, or coworker, and you just need to start somewhere. You need to stop thinking about yourself. It's not about you, and start doing something. Do one small thing. Write it down and go, I'm going to do this today, and go do it. Start somewhere. Some of you, yeah, I kind of do that. I hold the door for people. I do all that stuff. You need to start serving regularly somewhere, and I, I know you're like, oh, here it comes, right? Church push, serve somewhere. No, no, no. You, you can serve out in the world, it doesn't matter. You can go serve at a homeless shelter. You can go serve in Habitat. It doesn't matter to me where you serve. I want you to serve somewhere regularly so that you are constantly in the habit of putting other people's needs ahead of your own. It is a good reminder, right? It's, serving is not like a check mark to like go, oh, yeah, I'm done with that. Like, do you serve? Yep, one time a month, right? No, it's not, it's not serving. Jesus modeled it. It's his whole life. Right? It's this constant, constant thing that we should be doing in our lives. And let me just say this because we get confused a lot of times, especially around here. If you want to be a part of what we're doing around here and reaching other people and serving, that, that is awesome. We want you to be a part of joining teams of people that are other-centered. But hear me loud and clear. Serving is not an individual sport. Like, 
I don't know where we get the idea that like, all right, I got to go sign up to serve, put the cross on, let's go. Like, it doesn't work that way. You can serve with people you like and friends and your spouse. Or like, you remember that kid in the video at the beginning that served with his mom. And he talked about, oh, I love serving with my mom. You could serve with your teen. What a legacy that would be in your house. That you're a family that serves together. Serve with people in your small group. The point is, whatever it takes to help you do this, do it. Don't let that be an obstacle for you. And some of us, we, we need to take it to the next level, right? Because we go, oh, I serve, I, I got it. But we know needs. We have, we have needs that we know of, coworkers that need things, or maybe there's a, a single parent that we know of that we could love on, that we could serve in some way. And so we need to go home and we need to spend time, maybe as a small group, going, what could we do? What could we do as a group to start serving people radically in a way that's uncomfortable, in a way that's out of our comfort zone? Because that's the life that Jesus is calling us to. See, if we get this concept, if we could get this idea, can you imagine what this place would be like, what your families and your homes would be like, what your neighborhoods would be like, what your workplace would be like, if everybody was serving selflessly? See, we, we believe around here that we actually could reach the triangle and change the world. We, we're kind of dumb enough to believe that. And we're basing it really on one of these ideas that, that serving selflessly is a key component of that. So we need to start, and it starts with you and it starts with me. We gotta get going. So try it. Start serving selflessly today. It'll make a difference. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your perfect example with your son on the cross where he served as a ransom for each and every one of us. And Father, we know all the excuses. We know the stuff, the hesitation we have because of the time we're going to give up or the freedom or whatever it is. God, we just pray that you would help us be bold and look past that stuff and trust you when you say, if you want to be great, then you're going to have to be a servant. And God, we know that you continue to bless those who serve in ways that are just beyond their comprehension at time. And so, Father, I just pray for every single person in this room. I pray that they would be reconciled back to you and they would experience the joy of serving selflessly. God, we love you so much. We thank you for everything that you've blessed us with. We thank you for our mothers this weekend as we remember them and their selfless attitudes towards us. We pray all of these things in your son's perfect and holy name. Amen. 